I'm talking. Live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas studios, this is the Press Box. Bitch-ass white boy, Tyler Bischoff. It was reported that the Cleveland Indians have decided to remove the term Indian from their name. And Adam Candy. Yet we're cool calling the only black people in Utah the Jazz. On ESPN Las Vegas. Ed Graney is in Kansas City as the Raiders take on the Chiefs tonight on Monday Night Football in his place. Adam Candy. Adam, did you know that... Saturday was Ed Graney's birthday, and he spent it flying to Kansas City. Could there be a more appropriate way for Ed Graney (laughs) to spend his birthday than (laughs) on a plane getting ready for Marriott points? That's right. That is exactly what he wanted, was the extra night of Marriott points. So we'll talk to Ed uh, in this hour, uh, not too long from now. Catch up with him from Kansas City. But yes, spent his birthday on a plane to Kansas City, checking in. To a Marriott. The first bite. Sorry, my headphones aren't working. Can Derek Carr be the reason the Raiders beat Kansas City? No. So to give uh, a few numbers here, Carr this season, 23rd by pro football focus grades among quarterbacks, 15th in expected points added per play among quarterbacks, specifically against Kansas City. Raiders are 3-13 and 13 since Derek Carr has been their quarterback when they play the Chiefs. Last year, in two games, they scored a total of 23 points in those meetings with the Chiefs. And Carr, over his career in those 16 total games, has thrown 17 interceptions. So, outside of the actual matchup with Kansas City, we still haven't even seen Derek Carr play well this season. Is there any reason, Adam, that you think that changes tonight? Is there any reason to believe Derek Carr has a good game, and it can be the reason the Raiders pull off an upset. Not by himself, and I think that's the whole point of how the Raiders were able to win against Denver. They shifted with the run. I don't know that that was entirely because of Denver's pass defense and run defense. Yes, it made sense to have a different game plan, but I think the Raiders found something where, A, they don't have to worry about how good their pass blocking is going to be, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and uh, they don't have to put the game entirely into Derek Carr's hands. And those two things work hand in hand, right? We've seen that when Derek Carr has a good offensive line, Derek Carr can be an above average NFL quarterback. But when Derek Carr doesn't have a good offensive line, you get the kind of stuff that we've seen in a one three start. So, okay, the idea of running the ball, we heard Josh McDaniels after they beat Denver basically say, yeah, we wanted to wear them down. We wanted to run the ball. They had 38 carries in that game, 212 total yards. Josh Jacobs himself had 28 carries in that game. I'm guessing that's going to be the game plan again. I'm guessing the Raiders are going into this game saying, hey, we're going to try to run the ball and we're going to try to wear down Kansas City and we're going to try to play the John Gruden time of possession game where we don't let Kansas City, we don't let Patrick Mahomes on the field very often. I just don't think that's going to work against Kansas City. I don't think there's a win at the end of that game plan for the Raiders. Well, what we've seen thus far out of a much better Kansas City defense is that by DVOA numbers, Against the pass, they're 25th in the league. Against the run, they're fifth. So you have a defense that doesn't line up nearly as well as Denver did for you to try to execute that plan and run the ball down their throats. 
And also, if Kansas City comes out in this game and decides that you're not going to run the ball and puts the game into Derek Carr's hands, then what are we going to see out of Derek Carr? Because under pressure in general, it hasn't been a great story for him overall. Now, when we talk about under pressure, it's a difference between are you getting pressure with four and are you blitzing? We know Steve Spagnuolo, the defensive coordinator for Kansas City, loves to blitz, but is he going to have to? Kansas City has been a defense that has been actually able to pressure pretty well overall. Yeah, that's probably going to be one of the keys the entire season for teams that play the Raiders because if you can get pressure against this offensive line, which a lot of teams haven't had trouble doing that, then you're probably, if you can do it without blitzing, you're probably going to be in really great shape to shut down this Raiders offense. And the other part that I'm curious to see from the passing game side is Hunter Renfro, Darren Waller are both expected to play. Uh, Renfro hasn't played since he suffered the concussion on the final play against Arizona. Darren Waller was just in a non-contact jersey uh, in practice on Wednesday, but otherwise has, has been fine. But they're both expected to play. You obviously have Devontae Adams. They actually have their top three uh, targets available for the first time since that Arizona game. And I'm curious if if the Raiders, if that's going to matter, if the Raiders are in a position where they need to pass to win the game, which is what my expectation is, can those three be difference makers? Can it be, do, do we finally see a game where it's like, wow, how do you cover all three guys? Is that something we finally see? Because we haven't really had that. Granted, Hunter Renfro's been injured, but we've talked more about, oh, defenses are able to take away Devontae Adams, right? We've talked more about that than, wow, how can you cover all of the options, all of the weapons that Derek Carr has? And I wonder if, if this is the game we finally see that, or if tomorrow we're talking about the same thing we were after week two, and that's, Where's Devontae Adams' targets? Where's his yards? Or maybe it's Waller, maybe it's uh, Renfro. But I do wonder if we ever see, or if this is the game where we see the narrative of, wow, this, this we- the weapons for Carr are so good, you just nobody can be expected to cover all of them. Well, I think what we have to do, Tyler, is go back and say, okay, so the one time, one, that Derek Carr has beaten Patrick Mahomes as the quarterback of the Raiders, what did they do? They bombed the ball all over the field. Right, They threw deep as often as possible. And I know we don't see a lot of deep throwing in the NFL against all of the two high shells that are designed to take all of that away. But the Raiders beat the Chiefs by outscoring the Chiefs. And if you remember, when they talked to Gruden afterward, Gruden, who is obviously not everyone's favorite play caller when it came to the run versus pass, said, yeah, I know I got to score in order to beat Kansas City. So that's why when you say, okay, is it going to be one where where they use the run to try to beat Kansas City. I, you can, but look what happened to Kansas City against Tampa Bay where they put up 28 points without blinking. And that's, again, against the kind of defense that isn't allowing the quick scoring that we're used to seeing out of Kansas City, right? They can't go over the top to Tyreek Hill anymore. Well, here's the thing. The monster is evolving, and Patrick Mahomes is accepting of the fact that he needs to take the underneath passes and Kansas City is learning how to score doing that. It's terrifying, isn't it? Like, they just lose Tyreek Hill, and we're still early in the season, but four weeks in, Patrick Mahomes is still the best or one of the two or three best quarterbacks in the league. It's still the best offense. Like, it's absolutely horrifying that you can just take away Tyreek Hill, and they might do it a little bit differently, but basically haven't missed a beat. No, they haven't missed a beat at all. And let's think about this. We talked all offseason about how Kansas City had, by both Sharp Football Analytics and PFF, the most difficult schedule in the league this year, right? 
they still have a very difficult non-division schedule. But what we thought was going to be a gauntlet for them through the AFC West, they've already played what's going to be their most difficult game in the AFC West. They already played a healthy Justin Herbert on a short week. That's it for the rest of this year. They got the Raiders twice, they got the Broncos twice, and they're going to have an injured Herbert next time they have to play him. So as difficult as we thought it was going to be for Kansas City to maintain the lead in this division throughout the year, I think their road has gotten a lot easier by Herbert's injury, Russell Wilson's, I'm going to give you some big air quotes here, lat injury, and the Raiders' <laughs> overall problems. What, you mean playing Nathaniel Hackett twice this season is not going to be a difficult test for the Chiefs? Does he make it through the year? Okay. Really? Well, does does just, he make it I was just it looking at their schedule. The, they don't play Denver until December 11th and then again on January 1st. They don't play them until December. There's a legitimate chance that Daniel Hackett doesn't coach against the Chiefs this year. <laughs> That's exactly kind of how it should end up, right? Like, 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 Nathaniel, yeah, we, we can get all the way into this when they play the Broncos, but just looking at Nathaniel Hackett's face as he was talking to Russell Wilson, they were trying to figure out what to run down by the goal line. It was just delicious. Like, there is not a leader between the two of them, and no one could decide what they were going to do. I actually, the Chiefs' schedule is actually going to be harder than we think because Nathaniel Hackett isn't going to be there. They're going to fire him, and they're going to be significantly better once Nathaniel Hackett's gone. So, Poor Kansas City. Are you sure about that? Are you sure they're going to be better? Russell Wilson, player coach. Did you not see the video of him telling all his teammates, hey, tell the defense runner pass? It was a great video. He's a great coach. Let him be the coach, player coach at quarterback. I think the fans are going to – it's going to be like the fan-controlled football thing, (laughs) right, where because they're calling run pass, counting down the play clock from the stands, maybe the Denver Broncos fans could just have like a – it could be like, you know, how on on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire – where if you ask the audience and they can vote and then you can go with their answer, I think the, the Broncos should do that before every play. All right. Uh, make a prediction for me here quickly on the other side of the ball for the Raiders. Who has a better game tonight? Jonathan Abram or Chandler Jones? No. <laughs> <laughs> so, But if I have to choose one, I'll go with Chandler Jones. So the numbers on Abram, uh, he's never been good in coverage. His, if you look at his pro football focus grades, he's got a 48.4 coverage grade this year, which is actually worse than it was last season. Uh, Josh Dubow tweeted out his coverage stats against Travis Kelsey in his career. Seven targets, seven catches, 117 yards, and one touchdown. Um, he has been, this has been a matchup where he has been absolutely brutalized by Kansas City. Jared, who was the backup running back that jumped over him last year? Darrell Williams? Somebody, oh. some backup running back just jumped over Jonathan Abram for a touchdown last season for Kansas City. But that's expected. Like, we know that about Jonathan Abram. Chandler Jones has not been anywhere close to what the Raiders thought they were getting. Four weeks into the season, Adam, is it like, is it just, hey, that's still early and Chandler Jones can be fine? Or are you worried that this is just the Chandler Jones they're getting the rest of the season and Josh McDaniels has to give him credit for drawing a holding play once a game and be like, see, he's doing what we thought he was going to do. Yeah, my favorite part, by the way, of Josh McDaniels trying to tell us that Chandler Jones is doing things that don't show up in the stat sheet is that we're like, yeah, that's why we have pro football focus grades, because (laughs) we can look at all the things that don't show up in the stat sheet. Uh, What we're going to look at is week four against Denver and see that, yes, his grade was actually much better and we'll give him credit for his grade 
being better. We also know that he had one pressure in that game, and he has eight pressures total through four games. So we're not just looking at sack numbers and seeing the zero and saying, oh, well, Chandler Jones hasn't gotten any sacks yet. No, we're also looking at the grades that say last week was his best week, and the highest grades he has are in the 70s. He drew that one holding penalty. It was great. Didn't show up on the stat sheet, even though it kind of does. Should we? We should start crediting defensive players when they get held the same way we should start crediting like receivers when they draw pass interference. I think Josh McDaniels would be very happy with that because it would make the Chandler Jones <laughs> signing look better. But you asked, like, what are we going to get out of out of Chandler Jones? The question is for them: Can he be better than Yannick Ngakwe has been? And I watched Yannick Ngakwe on Thursday Night Football actually get after. No, Russell Wilson. Not allowed. That's not allowed. Nobody gets after the quarter. It's just Max Crosby. There's not another person allowed to get after the quarterback. All right. Coming up next, we'll stick with the NFL because the Giants are four and one. Rodgers calls out signals. Dylan to his right. Two receivers left, one to the near side right. Rodgers takes the snap. Back. Fires it past. Batted by the Giants. Incomplete. The Giants set the blitz and they batted it away. We're back to the Press Box Morning Show with Ed Graney and Tyler Bischoff featuring Adam Candy. The New York Giants beat the Packers in London Sunday morning, 27-22. They overcame a 20-10 halftime deficit, outscored Green Bay 17-2 in the second half. The only points the Packers scored were when the Giants had their punter run out of the end zone late in the fourth quarter to avoid punting while leading by a touchdown. Um, all right, Adam, New York Giants fan with us. Is Brian Dable this good? So think about it this way. How much did it take to get me excited about a New York Giants coach? Right? Like, I actually was into this in the offseason. And I made time to watch an entire Giants game when they played the Cowboys. Like, I was ready for this to happen for Brian Dable. I just didn't think it would happen like this or or this quickly. <laughs> I was not believing that this team was anything real until this game. Now, are they real in which they're going to make the playoffs this year? I don't think so. When you size up this schedule, oh, they probably end up as an eight or nine win team. Uh, but in the end, what do you see when you see the Giants? You see a team that is actually giving its players an opportunity to win, which Joe Judge and Ben McAdoo and Pat Shermer were not. Uh, you look and you see that the... Giants on offense are actually using motion and play action and rolling Daniel Jones out and doing all of the things that it takes to take an average quarterback and elevate him. And that's what the Giants have done. When when they tied the game at 20 and forced a punt from Green Bay, I actually said this to myself, and this is why you know I am probably going to get crushed by the hope that I have not had as a Giants fan for a long time. <laughs> I actually said to myself, they're going to win this bleeping game. Like, as soon as it got to 2020, and I cannot remember the last time I watched the Giants in any situation and said, oh, they're going to win this game. So, you don't think they're going to the playoffs after a 4-1 and one start? No, if you size up the way this schedule plays out for them, they have probably four more games that are games they should win, Everything else is going to be in question beginning this week with the Ravens coming in. I think the ceiling for what they have left on the schedule is nine wins. And look, if if nine and eight gets them into the playoffs, then great. The NFC is terrible, so that's not impossible. 
So, all right, on Brian Dable and the actual future here, because you're, you're, I'm assuming, more excited about what happens in 2023 since you don't think they're going to the playoffs in 2022. What happens with Daniel Jones there? Because if if Brian Dable makes Daniel Jones work to whatever extent you want to say Daniel Jones works, what happens after this season? Like, is it, hey, they're going to find a way to bring Daniel Jones back and make that work? Or is it, hey, Brian Dable's going to bring in a different quarterback, presumably better quarterback, and that'll be the big step the Giants take? Daniel Jones is going to determine that over the next 12 weeks. It, it's not far enough into this thing to make a decision on Daniel Jones yet. This is exactly what the Giants decided to do, right? They didn't pick up the fifth-year option with the idea that we're going to take a season and evaluate what Daniel Jones can be. And I'm not a prisoner of the moment saying, well, obviously they're 4-1. and one. They should bring Daniel Jones back. I think you take the rest of this season and see what you have and realize that this 4-1 and one start alone is probably going to keep you from being able to draft at the very top to get a quarterback in what is expected to be one of the better quarterback drafts in a while. So you might be looking at having to go with Daniel Jones a little bit longer. It's sort of what we talk about with the Baker Mayfield types of the world where they play just well enough to force you into keeping them and continuing on. But if Brian Dable can coax four wins in five weeks out of this roster with Daniel Jones, then maybe it's not the worst. I can't tell if you are battered and beaten Giants fan or if you're just talking from the mindset that you and I often talk from where you want to be in the playoffs competing for a Super Bowl or terrible and getting the highest draft pick. The Giants are 4-1, and one, and out of your mouth came, that's probably just going to prevent them from being at the top of the draft to take a really good quarterback. And I can't tell if it's that just you're beaten down as a Giants fan or that that's just how you actually view football. Oh, you need to look at this from the perspective of someone who has been beaten and battered for the last 10 years and is just now poking his head out of his burrow to say, is it okay out there? Is it is it safe to hope? Like, the hope's going to disappear this week because the Ravens are going to run him off the field. But, like, you look at what the Giants have done thus far and you can feel good about it. And just feeling good about the coach and the plan and all of that is a massive step in the right direction. But I think you're exactly right about the way that you and I look at football, which is that it's great for them to be competitive this year. What it could do is put them in that 9-10 win purgatory for a little while. And I don't know how they're going to get out of that unless maybe Daniel Jones can be better than he had been, right? Maybe it's going to take the things that they're doing to make Daniel Jones a better quarterback. All right. So I, one other topic I wanted to talk to you about, Adam Candy uh, has legal sports report. Go there and read all your sports betting news. But Odell Beckham Jr., uh, according to Ian Rapport, he's targeting a mid-November return to the NFL He's rehabbing after he tore his ACL in the Super Bowl, and he's currently a free agent. But a guy named Jamie Eisner tweeted out, where will Odell Beckham Jr. sign? And he posted some odds from Bet Online, uh, which is not a sports book in the United States. Uh, the Chargers were the favorite. The Bills, Rams, uh, Bucks, and Packers were on there as well. But the interesting part is that Odell Beckham followed up with, LOL, hypothetical, NFL don't come for me, but if you're technically not in the NFL, can you bet on this? So what did you think when you saw Odell Beckham asking if he can bet on where he will sign this season? 
uh, yes, this reminder that Bet Online is a sports book that operates illegally inside the United States. Uh, that being said, what I thought is that this is why that bet is not offered legally inside the United States, because these are information markets that can be affected by someone like Odell Beckham leaking the information to someone. I don't think any player in the wake of the Calvin Ridley situation should even be dabbling around making jokes about this. Even if we have players who are getting sportsbook sponsorships, it all is being done in more of a marketing and promotional way as opposed to a, hey, I use this sportsbook, so you should too. Yeah, the Calvin Ridley suspension is sort of what made me think, eh, I'm, I'm, I, maybe I shouldn't be because it's Odell Beckham, they're NFL players, whatever. We see them uh, do qu- make questionable decisions all the time. But I was just surprised that you'd have Calvin Ridley, who's not playing this year for betting on sports, for betting on the NFL, and Odell Beckham out here asking if he could hypothetically bet on where he would end up playing this season. Um, one thing on Odell Beckham that I thought Ian Rappaport and his story was interesting. Odell Beckham, if he's targeting a mid-November return, the NFL trade deadline is November 1st. So you would conceivably have, very similar to last year, but you'd conceivably have Odell Beckham signing with an NF to L team after the trade deadline, which would mean he'd be the only difference maker that would be available after the trade deadline. And granted, the NFL trade deadline not as great as the NBA or Major League Baseball or whatever, but basically an NFL team could look at it and say, oh, the de- deadline's gone, but we could still use a number two wide receiver or whatever Odell's going to be coming off his ACL injury. And Odell Beckham would make a lot of sense. There might be a legitimately like good market for Odell Beckham in mid-November. Yeah, there could be, but are we overthinking this with a guy coming off major injury the way Odell Beckham is? Like, is he going to come in off this injury and be a number two immediately, not having played football all year long? Like, this is the trap we get into with the veteran wide receivers, right? We did it a little bit with Antonio Brown. We we did it with Julio Jones uh, with where he shows up. So I'm not sure that we can just say Odell Beckham will show up and be that kind of difference maker. All right. Uh, coming up next... Ed Graney joins the show live from Kansas City. Coming. Manny with a hard hit line drive into right field and a base hit. Manny Machado, an RBI single and a 4-0. Padre lead in the fifth. Haters set again. Here's the pitch to Marte. Swung on, grounded slowly to third. Manny charges his. Now plays the hop. Throw to first is in time. And the Padres have not only captured the moment, they have captured the wild card series. And it's on to Los Angeles for game one of the NLDS Tuesday night at Dodger Stadium. There will be playoff baseball at Petco Park in 2022. It's the Press Box with Grady and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas featuring Adam Candy. Joining us now live from uh, Kansas City is Ed Green. Uh, <laughs> so, hold on, hold on. The Dodgers have beaten the Padres approximately 94 times in a row, and you're still groaning because the Dodgers get to play yes. the Padres in the playoffs. It all evens out. It all evens out. <laughs> That's uh, how it works. 14 of, 14 of 19 this year. I think the last 23 of the 28. Eventually, it's going to even out, and uh, the fear is it's, it begins now. It does not always even out. The Dodgers are better than the Padres, Ed. Best team doesn't always win. You've said it yourself. <laughs> Best team doesn't always win the World Series, baseball, anything can happen. All right. What are you actually afraid of besides just losing to the Padres? 
after Clevenger, I think they can uh, have just as good a rotation, if not better. If you saw Darvish pitch against the Mets, Musgrove uh, with the stuff behind the ear, um, the only one I'm not afraid of is Blake Snell because he seems to be walking the yard every every start he gets. He's like you know 90 pitches into the third inning, but uh, yeah. I think uh, Darvish and Musgrove are really, really good. And uh, I don't know yet. I think they'll go uh, Urias and Kershaw. I don't know who they'll go the third with, probably Anderson, because uh, Gonsolin's just coming back from the injury. So, yeah, I think they can match the rotation. That's real. That, if we're being all seriousness, I think that that's what they can do. Ed, you should be celebrating today, not <laughs> worried, because you have avoided a playoff series against Scherzer and DeGrom. I wanted the Scherzer of the other night. If we could have guaranteed the Scherzer of the other night, then I would have been okay with that because that guy uh, totally let the Mets down. So, um, but you can't. But to think that he'd do that two times in a row, you're right. Would have been a kind of would have been an upset. So, I don't know. We'll see. You know, Tyler. If they lose, I'll be fine. Well, you know, I'll come in and uh, there won't be any tears or anything. Tyler's uh, on board with this. If they lose to the Padres, you won't see any. Uh, depression out of me Tyler I just won't be there so you can't see uh you'll be able to see anything from me yeah Adam it's not about okay Ed wants the Dodgers to win but it's not about that with the Padres it's about avoiding losing to the Padres and even though Adam and I are going to sit here and tell Ed that there's they got like a 80 percent chance or whatever it is to win this series it's not about that, Ed. It's the twenty percent chance that his team could get eliminated yes. by the Padres. By the Padres, if you're eliminated by the Mets, uh, <laughs> still depressed, but it's just not the same. It would not be the same if Machado and those guys who despise the Dodgers uh, uh, win that series. You would have Padre fans who would take beating them over like winning the series. If it, if that if you had a choice, they would take beating the Dodgers. That's how. That's how much the hate has grown over the years, boys. I, I like how Tyler explains this to me as though my intro when I work with Ed isn't us talking about mariachis and a dump on the mound by Manny Machado <laughs> uh, with the Padres playing. Yeah, thanks thanks for the education on that. Uh, by, by the way, um, we already discussed this a little bit, but was being on a plane on your way to collecting Marriott points the ideal way to spend your birthday? Uh, no, because my kids were home, so kids oh. were home, so that was uh that uh that kind of stunk. Uh, but is what it is. And here in Kansas City for uh, Monday Night Ball, and we'll see. I was here last two years. I saw I was here for the trip around the stadium when uh, they won, <laughs> and I was here last year for the stomp on the logo when they were down like thirty-five to three at half. So I don't know if either is going to be that tonight. I my guarantee is they're not going to stomp on the logo. Because we asked those guys uh, this past week about that, and they kind of laughed and said no comment as if they realized that was a mistake. Um, so I don't know how it's going to play out tonight, but my guess is they won't be stopping, stomping on any logos pregame. Uh, do they stomp on the logo if they win after the game? Oh, that's a great question. Um, well, they walk across it. If they do any stomping, I don't know, but they will definitely touch it uh, as if you're not supposed to do that in the locker room. You can't do that in the locker room. You do push-ups. Um, so they will definitely walk across it if they win. I don't know. I don't think Josh McDaniels would do the driver on the same. He already said, he goes, no, win, lose, or draw, we're getting out of there. Um, I thought it funny last week when we kind of asked a lot of the players about it, whether they're telling the truth or not, and they seem to be telling the truth. They said most guys didn't even know what they were doing. 
like it was all it was kind of all Gruden and like most guys that are going a different way to the airport like didn't realize he had told the guy to take the lap so they were just happy to be in the bus happy after the win but they didn't totally get the, what they were doing which I thought was funny because it was it would have been the best story in the world if it was just Gruden and no one else oh. knew what they were doing. Can you, I have a content idea for you, um, get in your rental car and go drive around Arrowhead Stadium and just post, here's the path John Gruden took after the Raiders beat Kansas City. When we get there and there's 70,000 people, that'll be a little tougher than when there's nobody there and John Gruden <laughs> went around the stadium after the game, like two hours after the game. So uh, with Vinny Bonsignore driving the uh, rental car, I don't think I can tell him, listen, uh, let's try to get around all these tailgates <laughs> and do the lap around the stadium just uh, to remember John Gruden. Well, don't if you're going to go that far, you might as well make sure you have proper field access and you and Vinny go stomp on the logo oh, before yeah. the game. <laughs> well, I think we can be on the field before the game, but if we're out there stomping on the logo, uh, our credentials might uh, be taken from us, and then we can't do our job. Uh, Ed, we saw last week the Raiders run the ball 38 times and run it effectively against Denver. And Josh McDaniels afterwards say they wanted to wear down Denver. That was sort of their game plan. Can they do that to Kansas City? Is that a path to victory uh, tonight for the Raiders? Well, if they can, they keep the guy off the field who's 7-1 and against them and averaging like 35 points in those games. So I I would certainly try to do it. I don't know if they can to that level, but... They've got to figure a way to keep Mahomes off the field because he's just destroyed them all but the one game a couple years ago when he still, that's the other thing, he still like threw for 335 and a couple touchdowns even in a loss. So they really have never stopped him. Um, and then his other stats against them are ridiculous. So I would think, the, I would think Tyler, they're going to try at least, whether they can do it or not, I'm not so sure. But you got to try because if he's on the field a lot, you know, um, that might not be good. Everyone's saying, I don't agree with this if you watched Buffalo yesterday. Like, so the Chiefs beat the Tampa Bay Buccaneers last week in kind of an emotional game back in that stadium. They get Buffalo next week. So everyone's like, oh, is it a trap game? Uh, Buffalo plays them next week also, and it wasn't a trap game for them yesterday. So I don't think that's going to happen in Kansas City tonight. I don't think they're going to look ahead because I think the rivalry with the Raiders is real, and they certainly want to would not want to lose to the Raiders. Ed, we were talking earlier about the fact that Kansas City's path in this division might be a lot easier than we thought it was going to be because, yeah, yeah, the Broncos obviously are the Broncos right now. Herbert is hurt, and we don't know what's going on with the Raiders. And so when you look at this game for the Raiders, beyond the fact that they're 1-3 and beyond the fact that we know Kansas City is a better team overall from what we've seen through, through four weeks, are we going to be in a position every week with the Raiders now to say this is must win if they want to be able to make anything of this season? Like, is that what an 0 3 start did was make this a every week is must win week? Uh, at least for the foreseeable future, right? I mean, I guess if they won tonight, you say, hey, they're maybe, I don't know if they've turned a corner with the two in a row, with both would be division wins. But yeah, I think 0 3 set them way back. And boy, if they lose tonight, at least they get uh, that number one pick in the draft. Uh, because they'll be in line for that. Uh, and <laughs> which way they'll go, I'm not so sure, because maybe uh, they start thinking about all those quarterbacks out there. Um, but, yeah, I think you're right. I think, you know, if they lose tonight, then everything's a must-win, and then eventually you're going to get to the point of it doesn't matter if it's a must-win because it's going to be too hard to come back. Although you're right about the division. It doesn't seem like it was. it's as tough as, you know, we once thought it would be. Is one and four too much? Like if if they lose tonight and they're expected to lose tonight, is is one and four really too much for them to come back from? 
maybe not because of what you guys are saying about the division, um, if it continues to be this bad, you know, past Kansas City. But, and Tyler's, you know, put this together also in the past. You know, there's you can count up the good teams in the AFC, and when you get to a certain number, if you're one and four, I still don't know if it's, you know, doable to get a wild card, but uh, I don't want to say it's not. Um, but one and four would be a long way back, obviously. All right, Ed. Enjoy the Marriott. I, are you at it right now? Yes, it's only nine forty-two. Yes. Okay. Just checking. I don't know. I don't know what you're doing. You might have been knocking at the door of Jimmy John's, trying to get them to open early. Oh, that that was a mile walk yesterday, but I <laughs> I endured it. I did endure it, Tyler, and it was all uphill. You'll be proud of me. Uh, I am glad you take the same road trip to no matter what city you go to, Marriott and Jimmy John's. <laughs> He's Ed Graney. Uh, Ed, <laughs> thank you so much for joining us. All right, you guys. Be well. See uh, so Ed Graney, live from Kansas City. Kansas City literally has a restaurant that... No, Jimmy John's, Jared. No. I, I know, but Anthony Bourdain listed it as one of the 13 places you needed to eat before you die. Nope. Uh-uh. <laughs> I almost guarantee Ed has not been there. Nope. Jimmy John's and the Marriott free breakfast. That's what you got to do. Coming up next... We'll jump into some Major League Baseball after the Padres knocked out the Mets. But first, we got some tickets to give away. If you want to go see the Scorpions with special guest Whitesnake on Friday, October 21st at Michelob Ultra Arena, call in now. 702-364-1100 is the phone number. We'll take caller number 7 at 702-364-1100. You'll win a pair of tickets to go see the Scorpions with special guest Whitesnake. Coming out of college, I was player of the year, but I quickly realized Ain't none of that getting me on the floor with this team. Right? You're going to try to shoot them jump hooks that Jay. Ain't none of that about to get me on this floor. What was going to get me on the floor for the Warriors was to go bully somebody because I realized, like, oh, that's, that's missing here. Like, nobody here is bullying anybody. Nobody's here speaking up. Nobody's, like, just bringing that tenacity to the floor. We're back to the press box with Grady and Bischoff featuring Adam Candy. We'll get more into Draymond Green in the front page. But the Padres beat the Mets last night 6 to nothing, knocked the Mets out of the playoffs. So the Mets, who at one point led the NL East by 10 and a half games, did not win the division and got knocked out by the Padres despite having three games at home. Which, by the way, only one of the home teams in the wildcard round actually advanced. That was Cleveland. Uh, otherwise, we saw Seattle upset uh, Toronto and both of the NL wildcard teams advance past the Mets and the Cardinals. Uh, but Adam, what did you think of Buck Showalter asking the umpires to check Joe Musgrove and his ear for sticky stuff? I don't need to have an opinion on it. I can just ask Gary Cohen, the Mets TV play-by-play guy, because they had Gary Cohen on the Sportsnet show after the game, and he said that it smacked of desperation and it was the wrong thing to do. And the Mets fans leaving the stadium, who were already mad, uh, were booing Gary Cohen, who is one of their super favorites, uh, for saying that. So, yeah, I mean, look, it, it was not necessary in the moment. What, what was going to happen? You're down 4 0 and you get Joe Musgrove thrown out of the game. What, Josh Hader comes in an inning earlier? Like, it just didn't really. It wasn't a good look. It wasn't doing everything you can for your team. It was taking a team that won 101 games and cheapening it down to, we can't win this game unless we get the pitcher out. 
So for anybody that missed it, uh, Joe Musgrove uh, shot, gave up one hit over seven innings last night against the Mets. And before I think it was the sixth inning, uh, Buck Showalter, the manager of the Mets, came out and asked the umpires to check Joe Musgrove for a foreign substance, which included the umpires rubbing his ears uh, like he was a dog or something like that. Uh, it was pretty great uh, TV. But Musgrove, uh, they didn't, the umpires didn't find anything on Musgrove. He stayed in the game and got through the sixth inning without giving up a run. And the Mets were shut down offensively the entire time. Now we get to the DS, the divisional series in the baseball playoffs. We'll stick here with the Padres. I don't think they have much of a shot. Is there any reason you think that they have a chance to beat the Dodgers? No, none whatsoever. I am not at all worried about the pitching in the way that Ed is worried about the pitching. I mean, you Darvish, yes, went out and pitched very well against the Mets, but we have enough of a track record on you Darvish to know you could get that or you could get a guy who gives up four or five runs. And against this Dodgers lineup, I know which side I'm willing to lean. So I don't think that the Padres have the pitching to keep up with the Dodgers lineup. Yeah, and even if you did think that Darvish and Snell and Musgrove are all going to be good, the Dodgers led the National League in starter ERA this year. Like there's not it's not like, oh, the Dodgers don't have the pitching. Even if the Padres get great performances, I highly doubt the Padres are putting up five and six runs on this Dodgers team three times in five games. So even if that pitching was a worry, the Dodgers are just stacked from top to bottom. I mean, it's it's incredible how good their lineup is and how good their pitching was this season that it's just even if the Padres have a slight edge anywhere, it's probably going to be outweighed by everything else the Dodgers do well. In the American League, are you worried about the Guardians beating the Yankees? Yes, and I think I have every reason to be worried about the Guardians beating the Yankees because what have we seen when the Yankees get in trouble? The bats go quiet, right? What we saw out of the Yankees in July and August was that they went through stretches where they simply couldn't hit, and the way Shane Bieber and Tristan McKenzie looked in that series against the Rays, you have every reason to be worried. They also have... In the bullpen, a couple of guys where if you look at the way that Classe and Karinchak have pitched down the stretch, they can shorten every game to roughly, you know, what, seven innings, basically? Like, you get five or six out of the starter, find a way to Classe and Karinchak, and you're in a lot of trouble against the Indians. So I think for the Yankees, it, they have to show up with their starting pitching. The bullpen is an absolute disaster right now for the Yankees. <laughs> if Garrett Cole shows up and isn't prone to homers, he led the American League in giving them up this year. I think that the Yankees have a good chance, but I don't see where right now I see that the, the Yankees are a minus 200 favorite. I think that price is way too big for a team that has a lot of pitching questions. As an Astros fan, I'm more worried about the Guardians than the Yankees if the Astros get out of this series with the Mariners and in the ALCS because I the Astros pitching has been so good that I don't believe anybody left in the American League is going to score five-plus runs in a lot of games against the Astros, which means if the Astros are going to lose, it's similar to what you said about the Yankees, it's going to be because they can't score runs, and they're going to have to lose three, four games in a series, two to one or three to two, and when I look at the teams that are left, the Guardians, I think, are the most likely team that's going to hold the Astros to one or two runs in four games. 
and ultimately win a game two to one or three to two. So in all seriousness, I, I would rather have the Yankees win that series against Cleveland than the Guardians if I'm looking at an ALC, ALCS matchup for the Astros. Yeah, and I understand where the Astros are a team that, yeah, the, the questions obviously for the Astros are in the bullpen, but I, I think they're going to be able to hit against just about anyone. And I think you look at the Yankees and you say, when they went through a cold stretch, they didn't even look like a playoff team. Like they looked like a team that might manage to lose a giant division lead the way that the Mets did. So, you know, in the end, I don't, don't think you're out of line at all to say you're more worried about Cleveland. Uh, can you tell me what's happening with the Raldis Chapman? He doesn't show up for a workout on Sunday. Uh, so Aaron Boone said he's not going to be on the ALDS roster. Was he going to make the ALDS roster even if he did show up? The Yankees are so wrecked in the bullpen that he was probably going to make the <laughs> roster, but he's pretty much done at this point. Yeah. Look, if you looked at Brian Cashman's comments after this, he basically said this guy quit on the team. And that's what he did. Aroldis Chapman quit on the Yankees. And he had already quit on the Yankees when he was missing time for an infected tattoo in the middle of the season. <laughs> but now you look at the Yankees coming into this season, thought Aroldis Chapman in the final year of his contract was going to be their closer. And he's not going to be on the roster at all. So it's not just as simple as saying, well, you know, Clay Holmes was an all-star this year. Clay Holmes has been terrible in the second half of the year. The Yankees have been closing by committee. So you have a major, major issue if you're Aaron Boone right now because Roldis Chapman's done. Is this a situation where if you don't have one, if you have uh, two closers, you don't have any closers? Oh, I like that. Yeah, modify the quarterback <laughs> thing for uh, for closers. Very well done. Uh, so we both agree the Guardians are probably the most likely underdog to win in this series. Who do you think second most likely to win between the Phillies, Padres, and Mariners? I think the Mariners are going to be lucky to win a game oh. against the Astros. I think the Padres are going to be lucky to win a game against the Dodgers. I think the Phillies could win that series. Okay. Um, Phillies uh, and Guardians. Uh, put them into the LCS.